Welcome to Newsreel with Joe and Neil. I'm Joe. And I'm Neil. And today is Sunday, 22nd of July, 2018. Yeah, it is. Treason Trump, the treason summit, Joe. Did you see what happened on the news last week? I saw treason all over the place. It was just... I vomited. There was so much treason. Treason There's only so much treason someone can take in like a very short period of time. What the presser was like, if if you leave out all of the, the talking between Putin and Trump, like blah, blah, blah. That wasn't very important or interesting, kind of diplomacy, whatever. Uh, the last few minutes when that AP reporter got up and asked some questions, some hardball questions, and then Trump's response, basically his hardball question was, did you ask Putin, did he hack our election, interfere in our democracy, whatever? And, you know, what did he say? And then Trump's response was just like, that's when I vomited after about five seconds of hearing Trump Trump talk, where he completely, I think it was the point, my stomach really turned at the point where he appeared to uh, dismiss the opinion of US intelligence agencies about the meddling in the election in favor of what uh, Putin had said, that he didn't. And at that point, I just lost lost my lunch. Because, you know, well, who wouldn't? What, what honest, decent, true-blooded patriot. patriot of whatever Western society would not be horrified viscerally at that, um, at such a, such a, I don't know what you'd call it. It's just a, a, a dismissal of, of the integrity and value and everything that makes uh, Western intelligence agencies great. I mean, I don't know. This should have just been a non-event. Because, what, they flew into Helsinki, talked for a couple of hours, had a brief press conference, they flew home, and objectively, U.S.-Russian relations are still the worst in known history. Instead, we get this phenomenal reaction to the fear that those relations might improve. Like, I mean, yeah. I mean, you could we, we, we could have predicted it, but... I think the strength of it and the sheer intensity of it, it's taking the batshittery that's going on in Washington over the last three years up the curve and like with a little extra well, it's, jump. It's not just gotten worse; it's sort of jumped to a whole other level. I think. Yes. Do we have any? Uh, do we have any video of that actual um, important part of Putin and Trump's? Well, I, quick I, chat? I just want to say a few comments on yeah. that. We're, we're, I mean, I would like to play. It was a pretty decent and interesting conversation, both in terms of. The prepared notes both presidents had, um, and then the question. Some of the questions were good. They were important questions, you know, Syria, Ukraine, international um, situations involving like energy and trade wars. You know, important questions, important mm. issues. The reason these two need to be talking, the prevention of nuclear war, all that stuff. Um, and they both gave some interesting answers. Um, but U.S. journalists, all they talk about was Russia gave, Russian collusion, Russian meddling, Russian hanging. Uh, the, the, like, I'll give you something. The, I wonder if it's the specific answer. There's nothing Trump could have said, I think, that would have ever satisfied him. But Trump could have said, like, in, in front of Putin, did you, sir, I've just been asked by this AP journalist, did you, sir, meddle in our election? He could have given him what he asked for. Wouldn't have been enough. There's, some, there's a subtext. The subtext is they both got on well, and visibly so, 
there was no insulting each other. They both they both played well off each other. Yeah. For example, the very first question from a Russian journalist was it was a hardball question. It wasn't a softball question mm. because he threw it at Trump and said, "You've been saying you know Germany shouldn't be getting this gas pipeline." And Trump had to go, oh, yeah, well, I think it's not in Germany's best interest. And he even had to say, you know, it's not fair. It's, uh, Russia has an unfair advantage, mm. geography-wise. Well, no Geographical shit. advantage, yeah. <laughs> so that's not fair. Now, well, it's, 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 and it's, then the, the question goes to Putin. Now, he could, he could, he could capitalize on this, right? That's, that's a home run for him. He doesn't. He actually opens up in a cooperative manner. And mm. He says, uh, competition, great. Um, listen, he didn't talk about the pipeline directly. He said, listen, we both have a shared interest in world gas prices and energy prices not plummeting. Mm. What if we basically suggested that they, they rig the market between them. What if we co-manage energy markets? You know what I mean? He yeah. found this opening to yeah. in, 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 and the whole, the whole tenor of the conversation right. was like that. I think that's what they hated. The basic friendliness between the two cooperation people. and of course well i was going to say about the geography thing where it's uh, the americans are very it's not just trump i mean this has been going on before trump that the americans are unhappy about germany uh getting its gas it already has a gas pipeline Nord Stream one from russia and now they're building another one Nord Stream two and this will make mean that germany and other countries in europe will get a lot of gas from will get more even more gas from europe and be dependent on them and it's unfair. That's the, way, that's the way it's presented. It's unfair. And it's unfair because Germany is very close to Russia. Uh, it's the closest, uh, well, Russia is the largest gas producer in the world. And um, it's quite close to Germany. And that's unfair. And that's in keeping with uh, the US kind of mindset, I suppose, the US political mindset for going back decades when they found it to be unfair that some Middle Eastern countries, for example, happened to have their countries and their people on top of a bunch of oil. That that's just an unfortunate coincidence. Uh, and they shouldn't really be there. Certainly oil and gas should not be there. It should be somewhere where America get get easier access to it. But, oh well, we'll just have to invade anyway, you know, and just take it, you know. So it's not strange that he would say that, you know. Um, but, yeah... Um, in after the fact, they focused the media reaction focused on that last answer Trump gave. We'll, we'll, we'll play it now. It's the basically the last question before they wrapped up, and it's given to an American journalist, the AP reporter. I forgot his name. Doofus um, Mac Butthead. <laughs> something is, I don't want to remember his name. He asked the question. It became the question because. We'll see later. Trump backpedaled from his initial response to it. Mm. Okay. So if we can roll it there. Yes, yeah, I'll listen. Are we getting it? We're getting it. Thank you. Uh, question for each president. President Trump, yes. you first. Um, just now, President Putin denied having anything to do with the election interference in 2016. Every U.S. intelligence agency has concluded that Russia did. What? Who? My first question for you, sir, is who do you believe? My second question is, would you now, with the whole world watching, tell President Putin, would you denounce what happened in 2016, and would you warn him to never do it again? So let me just say that we have two thoughts. 
You have groups that are wondering why the FBI never took the server. Haven't they taken the server? Why was the FBI told to leave the office of the Democratic National Committee? I've been wondering that. I've been asking that for months and months, and I've been tweeting it out and calling it out on social media. Where is the server? I want to know where is the server and what is the server saying? With that being said, all I can do is ask the question. My people came to me, Dan Coates came to me and some others. They said they think it's Russia. Uh, I have uh, President Putin. Uh, he just said it's not Russia. I will say this. I don't see any reason why it would be, but I really do want to see the server. Uh, but I have, uh, I have confidence in both parties. Mm-hmm. So that answer he gave just at the end there, where he said, I have no reason to believe it would be Russia, emphasis on would, is what he then later backpedaled from. We can, we can play that in a minute. But um, that wrapped it up. But that's not even the highlight. That's not even the best part. It's, it became the thing that they you know, bit into most after the fact. But there were some other gems. I mean, even in his prepared notes, okay, so Trump's just reading from something. But it's either something he wrote or someone else wrote. I mean... It's, is it not like um, JFK-like? I would rather take a political risk in pursuit of peace than to risk peace in pursuit of politics, mm. i.e. U.S. politics in particular, because that's all this is. But America risks peace and has risked peace and, in fact, destroyed peace in the interest of politics for the past 70 or 80 years, repeatedly. So, I mean, yeah, he's breaking with tradition. America is all about, American foreign policy is about risking peace, threatening peace, jeopardizing peace in the interest of politics, which is in the interest of personal, political, and financial gain. So, yeah, I'm not surprised everybody's, everybody's freaking out about him. Um, but uh, what, what annoys me about uh, Doofus McButthead there from AP who asked that question is he stands up as if it's... Um, as if it's a foregone conclusion. This is why... Uh, as if it's a fact, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, as if it's a fact, yeah, that, um, that all intelligence agencies, which isn't actually true, uh, there were only... Are quietly reduced to four from were, 17, right? Yeah, four or three even, actually only... And they were only select people from those intelligence agencies who were, who were asked to give their opinion on it. And the intelligence agencies that were asked weren't really the kind of intelligence agencies that should have been dealing with such a question. The one, one of them, among the other 14 or 13 or 14 that, that didn't say anything on the matter, uh, was the NSA. And the NSA would be the intelligence agency in the US to opine or give evidence on that particular question, because that's what the NSA did with, right? With uh, signals intelligence, with communications, all that kind of stuff. They're the ones who would uh, know whether or not Russia kind of hacked our election and all these other allegations, or even if there was any collusion between Trump, because it's all about communications, right? But the NSA was not consulted on this at all and did not give an opinion on it. So this guy, that's why I call him Doofus McButthead, because he's actually peddling a lie there for right. a start. And secondly, um, the, this, uh, the idea that it's a, it's a fact, that it's an established fact, is, is not even true, not simply because the intelligence agencies in the U.S. have not overwhelmingly, or even a majority of them, given their... Uh, confirmed this, but it's based on, and people, this is what people forget, it's based on hearsay, innuendo, slander, and spurious allegations. There is nothing else. This is what people forget. People forget that there's nothing else. There is no evidence whatsoever, hard evidence, 
to back up the claim that Russia did anything to influence the U.S. election mm -hmm. or that Trump was in any way colluding or associating himself with anybody in the Russian government. Yeah. There is no evidence whatsoever. And this is why we kind of, kind of lose our shite a little bit, you know, um, about all of this and why any sane people out there are doing the same thing if they look at it too long because this is complete and utter nonsense from the get-go and obvious nonsense. It's obviously a put-up job. It doesn't, you don't have to be a rocket science, you don't have to be super smart to do it. But for some reason, people's brains have been turned to mush. Mm -hmm. They simply cannot think about this in any rational, logical, reasonable way. I mean, the whole, ser the whole server business, that's, Trump's talking about the server there. He'd like to see the server. That's, that's a very a core question, a core uh, rebuttal to, to the allegation of, of hacking or Russia hacked our election. It's like the, the, DN the DNC server. The DNC server. So that, was, his that, emails. that was supposedly hacked, that released information, incriminating information about, about Hillary Clinton, etc. Um, that is not is supposedly the what the Russians did to damage her reputation. There's no evidence, no hard evidence, that anybody hacked that server. The server was taken away, and it wasn't even given to the FBI. It was given to uh, a group, a tech kind of organization called CrowdStrike, mm -hmm. I think, to analyze it for them to analyze it rather than the FBI. And they're the ones who said, yeah, this was, uh, this was Russia. And this is a, a company paid by Clinton to basically say, yes, Russia hacked this server. When, as people have said from the, from, from the very beginning as well, the most likely uh, source of that leak of those emails coming off the DNC servers was someone working within the DNC, working within the Clinton campaign, who really didn't like Clinton. And... You know, it may be surprised a lot of people, but there's a lot of people, for good reason, who don't like Hillary Clinton. And, you know, I don't think anybody can, can, can disagree that with, with that idea, that there's a lot of people, and probably people who work closely with her, might get pissed off there now and again. And pissed off enough to stick a goddamn USB key into a computer and download a bunch of freaking emails. And leak no, it was a hack by Russia. Russia, mysterious Russian hackers did it. That's what really happened. Get a effing grip for I mean, Jesus Christ. So there, there's that, and then what else is there? What else is there? Nothing? There's really nothing. Well, there's... Uh, there's, there's. That's the hacking side. Then there's the meddling side that the Russians used. Uh, that's the first indictment right. from a few months ago that the Russians... Well, well no. if they didn't try to hack spe that specific info to hurt to hurt Clinton and help Trump, then they, they created this uncertainty and paranoia in the overall country by promoting and funding certain ads that right. would influence voters right. in general. And they produced these ridiculous series of memes from Facebook and Twitter that didn't influence anybody and obviously were the product of internal uh, U.S. politics. People, conservatives were creating these kind of memes of Jesus and the devil uh, and saying, you know, uh, you know, which one do you want to win? I, Jesus is uh, Trump and, and the devil is, is Clinton. Uh, that kind of stuff. I mean, the fact that that stuff even flies or that anybody takes that serious, it just boggles my mind. It's amazing. And also, so, so, but the DNC hack thing was pretty much not long after Trump uh, became president last year. That came out. And of course, there's the allegation that Seth Rich was the guy mm -hmm. who, the guy who was murdered and, uh, in Washington. No one D knows how, by who? Washington, D.C. on the street in Washington, D.C. one night. And he gets shot and nobody, nobody takes his wallet. Twice or his, in the back. Or no wallet, no theft at all. And, um, he was, a, he was a DNC uh, kind of insider. Could have been him. So some emails get stolen from the DNC server, and then one of the guys who worked 
in, within the DNC is shot on the street and nobody says this stuff. I mean, obviously, it's it's a far more plausible um, explanation for how it happened than this nonsense Russian hacking. But then, obviously, then in uh, January, right even before Trump was inaugurated, you had this uh, made-up bullshit dossier, dodgy dossier, concocted by, paid for by Clinton, again, uh, and uh, produced by a former slash current British intelligence MI5 operative, Christopher Steele, who was paid to come up with, paid a lot of money, $160,000, I think, just to produce this crappy dossier full of salacious, stupid, ridiculous, nonsensical allegations. And he paid Russians to do it. So he paid paid money from Hillary Clinton, paid Clinton's money, basically, mm -hmm. uh, to Russians to for them to make up stuff. And he then made up some other stuff and threw it into the dossier. And this becomes the indictment that Ru that Putin and Trump uh, have uh, mm -hmm. have contacts. That's it. There's not much. There's not much else. Um, I mean, in terms of the actual original originating evidence that actually started this whole thing going, that people now, after a year and a half of being repeatedly propagandized uh, uh, with with this dodgy evidence as if it's fact, then people suddenly know now for sure that it's a fact, uh, which leads this idiot AP journalist to stand up with that summit and ask this question as if it's like complete mm -hmm. ironclad, hard and fast, no question whatsoever, what's happening? You know, uh, it's, it's... I thought Trump did really well um, in his prepared remarks and then in handling the press conference. If a one criticism is though, is that he didn't do something like this, where he just punches out the basic facts. And you, you we discussed it earlier in the week, and it bothered you as well that this, it's uh, everyone knows this. There's something about Trump's elocution where he begins something, and it, midway through a sentence, he stops and he starts another sentence. He doesn't even finish that one, but in a roundabout way, he makes the point so that you get the gist, mm. but he doesn't nail it. Mm. I think it's part because he, as, a, as an American, he's a product of the same system that's turning people's brains to much. So maybe it's partly the way he is personally. It's partly the result of people's brains being turned to mush. But I also suspect there's an element of him having to dance on his feet. He's so used to it at home that even abroad in this setting, he knows this is going to be hot news back home. Mm. So in that, in response to that AP journalist, why didn't he just hit him with, he kind of, he did his classic deflection where he goes, where's the server? Where's the server? It's a good answer, but he didn't really slam it. He could have in contrast, Putin seems to relish it. Mm. He, you see, Trump's standing there, and he's not—he's not handling diplomacy between the United States and Russia. It's not that simple on his side. On the Russian side, it is. Putin is clearly the president of Russia. He has the support. He can speak freely. Trump is hamstrung because he's the mediator between the deep state and the American people and Putin. So he's handling the three things, the forces at once. Mm. You know. Mm -hmm. um, Putin's answers, in contrast, were just dynamite. He's, that's what I mean. He seemed to relish it mm. because he goes, well, okay, if that, what about this? And he did this two awesome name droppings. If we're talking about meddling in foreign elections, then I'd like to hear, I'd like to listen to what I have to say about, and he named them, Bill Browder. And he also name dropped that Bill Browder, with the money that he stole from the Russian state mm -hmm. when he fled the country in 2013, 2012, it was a mistranslation that was, the translator said it was 400 million, but that went to Clinton. It was only 400,000, but still, he said, donation. 
Putin said, while the contribution to the DNC may have been legal, or not to the DNC, to specifically to Clinton's campaign, well, how they got that money was illegal. What would be really interesting would be if, I mean, obviously you can't trace the money that exactly, but it would be interesting if that well, Maybe he can. Well, no, but I mean, exactly in the sense, in the way that I'm, I'm thinking about it, it would be really, uh, it would be very rich uh, or uh, ironic, I suppose, in a certain sense, that if that 400,000 that Bill Browder gave of what is effectively Russian state money, Russian tax money, basically, Taxes the Russian that he stole 250, 300 million dollars, he gave 400,000 over to the Clinton campaign, and then Clinton gave that money to uh, Christopher Steele, who then gave it to back to some Russians to produce this <laughs> lie <laughs> about Trump. And Trump, so Trump's enemy then is ultimately, you know, the money man behind it. In that situation, the money man behind it, it would be Bill Browder, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Trump would have every reason if he thought about it in that way to hand Bill Browder over to, uh, to the Russians to face justice, the slimy snake that he is. Um, yeah, but so, but on the way that the two of them dealt with it, both of them, the impression I get from both of them, Trump not Trump isn't quite so good at it because it's more personal to him and he can't help but kind of like throw back some comments like about the server, where's the server and stuff. But uh, Putin just talks above it all and is kind of dismissive of it, you know. He just is, yeah. I mean, his, his response to, and ha his response, the response he's given previous uh, to similar kinds of questions uh, from US journalists and, and to this guy about did you hack our elections, it's just, he's, he's just dismissive, you know. Which is, if you think about it, the most appropriate way to respond to a stupid, ridiculous question, you just go, you, you, you highlight its ridiculousness by just going, listen. <laughs> but he, he stuck to the facts as well. What like, for example, they thought, the U.S. journalists thought they would nail him by citing both indictments. Yeah. And Putin went, well, obviously, the new one about the 12 Russian agents specifically named as being the hackers, it happened two days before. I can't answer to that right now. We're willing to investigate. Mm -hmm. And that's where he goes, if you help us get a hold of Bill Browder, who has is wanted in Russia under Interpol notice. Interpol won't give him to Russia because for the first time ever, they've decided that it's political persecution and they won't uphold their own red notice. Well, not the first time ever. It, there are other cases, okay. But Interpol doing that repeatedly, too. they won't. Anyway, so that's Bill Browder, but he drops that. But then he answers, he, he doesn't just deflect away with some other spiel. He answers the question directly. He says, right, let's talk about the indictments. The first one has appeared in a U.S. court. It's been forgotten. But that happened in March or so, mm -hmm. and the company's name, the Russian company, Putin's cook, his chef, he owns a catering company, had his lawyers go to court, Putin explained this, and it was either thrown out or it's no. basically, no. It's Mul Mueller, Mueller crapped his pants because uh, he wasn't expecting anybody. Mueller hands out these indictments against, against Russians and expects them that, that, to that be evidence, but of course... Um, Indictments aren't evidence. I mean, and there's a famous saying that in the U.S., uh, prosecutors will indict a ham sandwich, you know, which they may have done at some point in the past, or some kind of sandwich, uh, to give testimony. <coughs> but the ham sandwich never turns up, obviously. It doesn't say anything, even if it does. Uh, so, indictments like Mueller's, that, like the indictments that Mueller are handing out, are simply. There again, there's kind of slurs, or it's, it's defamation, it's innuendo, because uh, and you indict people that you know will never appear in, in court, but then the indictment seems to have a validity or legitimacy, legitimacy of its own when, it's, when it really doesn't. It's the fact that you've said, I'm in, I want these people to come to this court to answer these charges because we think that they 
or in some way implicated in this crime. And, and you know the person will never arrive. But th so that's the only thing that's left standing, is your indictment. It's not evidence. It's basically worthless, uh, but it, it has a lot of uh, influence or, or it can create a narrative in, in the public mind, you know? And that's why he's handing out these indictments. So when he handed out a couple of indi indictments earlier this year, uh, he expected that the two, two people that he indicted, two Russians uh, uh, accused of, you know, spreading these memes on Facebook and stuff wouldn't turn up, and they actually did turn up, at least they, they were represented by their lawyer, mm -hmm. and immediately Mueller tried to have the case uh, delayed till he could clean his pants, basically, <laughs> to get a new pair of underpants, <laughs> uh, which was going to take quite some time. So, uh, so he, uh, but the judge denied that delay, and the course continued, and uh, or the, court, the case continued, and I think it was just recently, actually, it was, they were up in front of the, 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 the judge again, and uh, these two Russians' lawyers demanded, uh, okay, since we've been accused of these things, we want See the evidence. disclosure of everything, uh, which again caused a loud noise to issue from Mueller's office, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and a lot of flushing went on. So uh, <laughs> they're, they're, they're in trouble, basically, in that respect. They're scrambling to try and kind of like make this go away, and then Mueller indicts 12 more. I mean, he was more careful about his more recent indictment of 12 Russians, he he picked twelve people who he said work for the Russian, the GRU, Russian intelligence service. Um, there are names, but there's no way to know if those are actually people, if they exist, or if he pulled them out of his backside, uh, which he may well have done. Um, so he was more more safe on this one because there's no way that those guys are ever gonna are ever going to get representation, if they even exist, those guys. Maybe they don't exist, and that's why to make sure, that's one way to make sure that, that your, the people you indict will never appear in court if you just make up their names. If they're fictional people, obviously they're oh. never going to appear in court, and they're not going to hire lawyers to come to court because they don't exist. Or, or if, if they do, it's well understood by convention, if nothing else. There might even be actual laws about this in international law. If you're going to name 12 diplomats slash foreign intelligence officers of another country, that's going to take you know, a big okay from the state in question, as as Putin answered. It. Well, in in the press conference, then Putin Putin addressed that uh, by saying that he he offered to uh, for the U.S. US for Mueller's team basically to send over the questions and and the investigators themselves in person. Uh, yeah, and that they could they could question them. Right. And uh, in in Russia, and and but what more do you want? But they <laughs> the. Uh, <coughs> the, the Americans apparently, uh, Congress and stuff, just aren't happy with that for some reason because you know we. I, I think the idea from the one the anti-Trump contingent in the media and in in, in Congress etc. in the deep state is that no, look, um, we're meant to just we're just meant to make these allegations against you and claim it as fact, and then you're meant to just leave it at that. You know, you don't seem. You Russians don't seem to understand the process here. It's like we make the allegations, and then our media says it's a fact, you know, peddles it as fact to the people, and then that's where it ends. It's you don't go through a court case and, and, and find out whether or not what we're saying is actually true. You, that's not the point. Do you not get, have you not realized what the point of this is yet? It's for us to spread rumor, innuendo, and slander and defamation, and for you just to suck it up. Exactly. It's like, it's like people telling Putin, um, whispering in his ear, as he's, he's explained a number of times, whenever the U.S. increases sanctions or the rhetoric against Russia, especially during the uh, Obama administration, Putin says that 
you would have someone, you know, whispering and say, hey, listen, it, we're not serious about that. Listen, it's just, yeah. it, it's internal politics. Yeah. Now, they won't disclose that anymore, but it's obvious to everyone that it is internal mm. politics. Putin can see that himself. This is your issue. Stop bringing us into it. Mm. The other thing Mueller's doing, actually, is the, the, um, the people that he's indicting or that he's bringing up charges against, he's actually passing them off to, um, to the Department of Justice. Uh, rather than rather than actually, there's other people. There's like um, uh, a Trump, a close. He's been investigating a close Trump associate, Michael Cohen, uh, who he I think is former lawyer. Yes. Um, he let me see what he, Cohen. Yeah, he's a key. Cohen's. I'm just reading here. He's a key figure in theories of Trump Russia collusion, basically. Uh, Cohen was accused in the dodgy dossier. Cohen was accused of holding secret talks with Russian officials in August 2016 to discuss how deniable cash payments were to be made to hackers who had worked in Europe under Kremlin direction against the Clinton campaign. Blah blah blah. <laughs> so this guy has been accused in the dossier. He's mentioned in the, in the sealed dodgy dossier. So uh, Trump or Mueller has kind of ID'd him and is investigating him. But now that he's built up some kind of list of crimes that this guy is possibly. Uh, guilty of, he's passed it off to the DOJ. And when you pass it off to the DOJ, uh, it kind of goes into a secret room and it's it's hidden, you know, whereas Mueller's investigation is meant to be very public, like with Manafort, it was all mm -hmm. very public what was going on. So Mueller is basically flagging all these people to kind of build up the case, but then not actually prosecuting them himself publicly, giving them over to the DOJ so they basically disappear. He's done the same thing with this woman more, more recently, um, uh, Butina. Yes. Uh, the woman who it's just another woman who's basically working you know obviously there's lots of has been over the years lots of uh, lobbying going on uh, by Russians in America and by Americans in Russia and every other country around the world and this this uh, woman Putina works for is her kind of patron is a, a guy who, wor who worked for a Russian bank and was a member of, of Putin's party and stuff like that Torshin Torshin Alexander Torshin and um, you know he's been in the US he's both of them are basically gun nuts and they have uh an organization in Russia called the Right to Bear Arms, and they're basically gun gun promoters. And so they established, many years ago, established links with the NRA and went to NRA conferences and hooked up with NRA people and stuff. And that's about the height of it, basically. That's all there is. But Mueller has, is trying to make something out of that to achieve this kind of super-secret Russian, Russian sparrow, Russian spy, the Red Sparrow or something. Uh, and She's uh, already convicted in trial by media. Yeah, but she actually, yeah, she's, of course, she, yeah. they're calling her a spy. Yeah, she's of course, it's done, done and dusted. But she's a nobody, basically. She, there's nothing to see there at all. But she's a lobbyist who happens to be Russian. Yeah, exactly. That's pretty much the height of it. If you wanted a simple, simple version of it, it's that she's a a, a Russian uh, lobbyist working on behalf of uh, a group like uh, a Russian organization. Um, in very, you know, I mean, the only thing is she's not an official lobbyist. So the only thing they can really accuse her of, if they can if they can say that she was involved in some kind of work for the Russian government, which they're trying to do, then they would accuse her of not uh, registering as a foreign agent, which she didn't. Right. But she wasn't r working for the Russian government. She was working for uh, this organization in Russia called the Right to Bear Arms. Uh, and she wanted to hook up with the Republicans and with the NRA. NRA and Republicans are like, you know, two peas in a pod, basically. So she had contacts there. She had gone to meets and stuff like that. Well, she, she went to a Trump rally when he was well, campaigning. Well, of course. And they yeah. have video. They're playing video now of her asking him a question. Right, but he was going to be... this is evidence course. of Russian collusion. But he was going to be the next Russian, uh, next, next Republican president. So, of course, she was going to be interested in talking to him. They all are. I mean, people don't know what, lobbying, what the lobbying situation is like in the U.S. It's freaking like a... 
it's like a cat fight. You know what I mean? It's it's, it's a cesspool. So this you know? is obviously cooked up. I mean, two yeah. two days before the summit, but, there's a second. So the other thing about her is she's gone to the OGA as well. Mueller's not investigating her anymore. He's just basically ID'd her as Russian spy. Once that's done in the media, oh, we found a Russian spy. Mm-hmm. Then her case actually gets shoved off to actually find out whether the allegation that she's a Russian spy and has been working, uh, you know, for Putin to try and contact Trump and 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 destroy our democracy. Those allegations are made. Then. Mueller doesn't actually follow it up. He doesn't have to prove anything. He doesn't have to collect any evidence. He doesn't have to have any evidence because he pushed it off to the DOJ. The DOJ kind of just put it into a dark room somewhere and it disappears. And the whole point of this is to create um, uh, media truths, quote-unquote media truths, uh, by issuing indictments, by talking about uh, individual Russians, and then not following up at all. Make the allegations that are, when you look into them, are baseless, but have the media present them as fully you know, well-founded allegations and then make the case disappear. Don't follow it up. Don't investigate. No evidence. No court case. Nothing. Done. But it's trial by jury. Try, 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 trial by sorry, trial by media. Try uh, judge, jury, and executioner uh, is the media, and it's done. And it's in people's heads, and that is the job done. End of story. This is not Russian actual... spies are running around the U.S. Just get hacking, it out there, hacking our brains. Right. So, um, yes. I think just, just the act of Trump doing this meeting was an act of rebellion. He, mm. could, have the, he could have stood there and said, gobbledygook. And, uh, or he could have said there, likewise, he could have stood there and given them exactly what they wanted to hear. Yeah. But um, Anderson Cooper and all the others who were there ready in their makeshift studios in Helsinki for when it ended would still have turned to the cameras and said, yeah. this was the most disgraceful performance ever. Well, there's, there's, a, there's a tweet from a, a New York Times journalist. I think we have it up on uh, on the screen there. Um, yeah, that's it right there. This is from, what's his name? Michael Gershon. Gershon, some, uh, another doofus McButthead. Um, he tweets this about the Helsinki, uh, about the meeting between Putin and Trump. And so our president who shows how tough he is by abusing migrant children, was a cringing coward before a dictator. There's so many, I mean, you know all, of, it's, all of the words in that sentence are wrong, including the small words, like and. You know, all of them are wrong. It's not just that the, the main points are wrong. All of them are wrong. Every single word, including the, the, the period at the end, is do you know, wrong. Do you know why it's in quote marks? Because he quoted himself. He's quoting himself from the New York Times, from that article. The oh, article underneath is called... I don't think so, because I heard someone say that in a rally this week. Bernie Sanders said that to a crowd, a baying crowd, okay. who went, and they cheered, well, maybe, and they and they hollered. Okay, well, maybe he's quoting, quoting himself, I'm, quoting someone else in his article, basically. Uh, but the... Uh, let me just duck out of view here. What's, what's the... Ti- what's the uh, Scotty, what's the title in that article underneath that it's quote from? Under, under Trump's face. That one right there under the tweet. Trump. Uh, the title. Yeah, opinion. Trump replaces. Uh, Trump replaces national pride with personal vanity. Personal vanity. So that's this guy's New York Times columnist. And this is a New York Times, obviously, is Jeff Bezos. Amazon man. He owns the New York Times. Isn't he WAPO? And NYT is someone else. I think he's, isn't he, I think he's New York Times as well, no? I'm not sure. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, I thought he was New York Times as well. But anyway, this guy is um, obviously an idiot because, <laughs> I mean, that kind of a headline is just, or uh, quoting that in an article is just ridiculous. 
how tough he abusing migrant children and a cringing car before the show. It's not even true on any no. on any level whatsoever. It didn't lies, actually happen, but he, but he puts that out there. And then we have other people like um picking up on that, you know. Yeah. Uh, I saw that tweet actually not from because I don't follow that guy. I don't follow idiots like him, although I probably should. Um just to see what idiocy they come up with. But uh I saw it, Jonathan Haidt, um who's uh No. Yes. What did he do? Jonathan Haidt is uh Well we like Jonathan Haidt. We like Jonathan Haidt. He's a, he's a professor of uh psychology or whatever at uh, and he's written a book um The Righteous Mind. The Righteous Mind. We like that book. It goes into He figured out what's wrong with liberals. He goes into what the differences are between basically left and right type minded people in politics and stuff and why they why they fight and why they hate each other and stuff and he brings it down to a very basic basic level in terms of almost like a nature basically. It's in it's in people's natures to be left or right. But anyway, the problem is that he tweeted retweeted that and um and I saw another tweet at around the same time from Jonathan Haidt, uh as it, who is a guy who should know better, but it just goes to show that people who can have really good great minds and can really dig into a topic and, and un, uncover yeah. uh, truths about human nature and stuff are still so um subject to to this kind of propaganda to, to lose their marbles basically. Because he also tweeted something uh, he said at certain times the president this is another tweet that around the same time. At certain times, the president is supposed to be the high priest of the American civil religion. After Charlottesville, he says, I wrote an essay on how the president had committed sacrilege. He did it, he just did it again in, in Helsinki. This is Jonathan Haidt basically saying that um, the president is meant to be the high priest of American civil religion. Like he's meant to be above it all and he's meant to keep everybody together. And he committed sacrilege against his kind of sacred duty, let's say, to keep people together uh, by his comments after Charlottesville. But and he said he just did it again in Helsinki. And what, is, what was he referring to about Helsinki? The only thing he could be referring to about Helsinki uh, and Putin's, Trump and Putin's meeting is that what everybody else, all of the rest of the media have been complaining about, which is that Trump dissed our intelligence agencies. And that is what this guy Haidt is saying is sacrilege. Mm. So it's basically sacrilege, which is a pretty strong word, for the president not to have the back always of U.S. intelligence agencies and not to recognize that everything they say is always true. How a supposedly educated... We have his page up. Can you scroll professor. down, Scotty, to find some of these tweets? I think it's from July 16th, it begins. Oh, you're going to probably That's... have to go down a while. Um, it's, it's sacrilege. I, I, I know the article you're referring to. So here it is here. If, at certain times, there you go. At certain times, the president is supposed to be a high priest of the American civil religion. At Charlottesville, he wrote an essay on how the president had committed sacrilege, and he just did it again in Helsinki. So, yeah, I mean, the only thing that he, that he can be accusing Trump of doing in Helsinki is uh, the only thing he can, referring to, can be referring to with the reference to uh, sacrilege is... His sacrilege against the U.S. U.S. intelligence agencies by taking Putin's word over, 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 over their word, um, and the truth be damned, supposedly, because how someone like him, surely he must be aware of the dodgy, murky history of U.S. intelligence agencies vis-à-vis the truth about certain things. I mean, it's not that long ago that they were uh, peddling unmitigated bullshit to the entire world about Saddam's weapons of mass destruction. So I, they have passed form on this. So why would you put 
undying, un, un, uh, unconditional faith in an intelligence or a group of intelligences who are on record as having told very, very big and damaging and destructive lies in the past. Why, why, would, you, why would you dismiss that? Because I'm assuming he's aware of it. Why would you dismiss that and say it doesn't matter when the chips are down? You still have to uh, respect and give credence to people who have a history of lying. doesn't make any sense to Just me, before he tweeted that, he, tweet, he retweeted James Comey. Right. When he says, patriots need to stand up and reject the behavior of this president. And that, that's He's getting sucked into partisan politics, into left-right. Big time. Le left-right. Uh, and that, that Comey thing has 236,000 likes. I mean, who, who are these people? Like, Here's the thing. Everybody who is hating Trump is on the left, right? Pretty much. They're all lefties of some stripe, right? The majority of them. They're left, either officially lefties, Democratic Party members, whatever, but they're or, or otherwise lefty, left taste buddy kind of people, you know, in terms of heights, uh, uh, moral taste buds. So my question is that how people who are, who self-identify as on the left, how in 2018 those people can be the biggest cheerleaders for the FBI, the CIA, John McCain, the NSA, Jeff Bezos. Uh, how can they be the resistance if they're supporting those people? I mean, this is the left. This is the traditional anti-war left, right? Yeah. Anti-corruption, anti-elite, anti-big, big, big government. You know, corrupt, powerful government, corrupt, corrupt business, corrupt cor corporations, greedy corporations, and yet that contingent with their long history of being anti-war and anti anti-corruption and anti-big business are now the the biggest supporters of the FBI, the CIA, Jeff Bezos, who is now the richest man in the world, and people like John McCain. They're supporting John McCain. The left is supporting John McCain. Does that not just like slap you in the face like a big fish or something? I mean, how did that happen? How is that possible? I think... Because yeah, they've been twisted. But there's something, in, it's, something subconscious happening here. It's... It's probably best explained by Lobachevsky in the polarization, how people's minds can be taken over and influenced. I mean, the, he, he, the phrase he used was the subconscious selection and substitution of data. So lefties, traditional anti-war lefties, they know these same people or their predecessors killed JFK. They know they killed MLK. They know they killed RFK. They know Vietnam War was their fault. They know, um, as we come forward in time, they know that they were initially behind... Uh, the Mujahideen, which led to Al-Qaeda. They know they were behind Iran-Contra. They know they were behind... Overthrowing dictators in Guatemala, in right Iran, in, a, in El Salvador, in Indonesia, in dozens of other places. They know all these facts, but in this... In this but because Trump... When it's presented to them in this way, who do you believe? Um, the president of Russian Federation, the evil one, or our patriotic... Intelligence community. No, where the it's worse than that. The problem is all the, these all this litany of crimes that they know about committed by U.S. intelligence agencies over the years that they've been at protests for, that they've been denouncing for decades, all now just disappear because they're confronted with a big unpresidential orange-faced buffoon, and he is he is dissing the intelligence agencies that they've hated for so long.
but because they hate him more, they're going to love up the intelligence. I mean, talk about a lack of integrity, a lack of like conscience, a lack of 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 just basic intelligence. I mean, there's something seriously, seriously yeah. wrong with those people. I mean, because I'm I'm not I'm not I'm not exaggerating when I say the people who are the, the who are the most anti-Trump and who are now being finding themselves in a position of supporting the CIA, they're the ones who, who were, who have been, up until Trump, the biggest opponents of these people that they're now supporting. Yeah. So, so what kind of credibility do those people have when, when you see them basically just turn around and say that black is now white, when before they were saying white is black? You know, I mean, or, or when, they're, when they're basically completely uh, changed their tune. Absolutely. They've basically completely turned uh, ideologically, let's say, and politically in every... Turned collaborators. Yeah. I mean... They betrayed everything they, they, they claim to represent. What I wonder is, it's, I mean, in an offhand way, it's almost as if they have... There's a godlike status for the so-called intelligence community, which is the deep state. And by the way, in this standoff where Trump is a traitor and do you not believe our patriots... Are they not between the lines saying, yes, you're all right. There is, in fact, a deep state. And yes, it does, in fact, real, real power. And yes, in fact, the president of the United States of America is just a puppet. So will someone please put a cap on Trump? Because the president is not supposed to be doing what he's doing. Right. They're, they're tacitly saying this is the case. This is how it was always so. And isn't it funny that Trump, the off, having the office the title, the symbology of the office isn't enough to defend him from it. Far yeah. from it. He's lesser than these gods who, what, intercede like on behalf of the American people with God so that even when they do wrong, they can never be wrong. Right. Yeah. There, there's something really weird going on here, but it's but all connected. It's the, I mean, this is the reason why these people, we assume, in some, at least some of the cases, can get away with pulling off things like the Vegas massacre. Mm -hmm. I mean... But by get away with, people will have doubts. A lot of people maybe don't believe the official story, but they get away with it. There should be, in a normal situation, there should be a freaking insurrection. Find out who did it, right. where they live, and kill them, frankly. Yep. But instead, it's eventually put under the... All yeah. right, we'll eat that one too. But if you keep doing that, and they keep being able to do even more excesses, it has an effect on people's brains where... They've sold their souls, basically. There is a master. We accept, we submit. Yeah, and, and that's what they're pushing out, for. Yeah. It's playing out on the world stage right now in, in this drama. Right, and they don't care about facts, obviously. I mean, the last thing they care about is actual facts and details. They're on an ide ideological, ideological, uh, uh, I don't know, I don't know, I suppose. It's a, it, as to, not to use a Trump word, but it's a witch hunt. It is obviously a witch hunt, uh, and they're they're committed to it, you know, and they're, they've doubled down, and they'll keep doubling down, and actually facts only make them, facts that refute their 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 argument only make them doesn't it doesn't make them stop and think oh yeah maybe I'm wrong they actually double down and, and scream all the louder I mean this guy struck the scary guy from the FBI who uh, who basically spearheaded the, the investigation into into Trump and 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 so give, collusion. give give Clinton a free pass and stuff you pro most people have probably seen some of his testimony he's a scary looking freak basically um but in his in the investigation of him and his notorious text messages between him and his uh, his girlfriend, his mistress, uh, Paige, her name is. Um, there's one, um, and there's thousands of text messages between them that 
supposedly Congress has been looking at to find this parallel investigation into whether or not this whole Russia collusion business is complete nonsense, which it obviously is. Um, there's one text message that was sent on by by Strzok to Page on May 19th, 2017, so well into the whole uh, dodgy dossier and collusion stuff and hacked our elections. May, 7, May 19th last year, um, the text message that he sent to her when she asked him about, you know, the what was going on with the Russian collusion stuff and whether, there, you know, is there anything we can go on, basically, is there anything we'll work with? His response to her was, and it's, you know, it's an official text message from him that he doesn't deny sending. He said, there's no big there there. This is the guy who's front and centre of the investigation into leading, uh, effectively, doing the groundwork on the investigation into Trump, Trump's collusion and Russia hacking our elections. And he said, there's no big there there. And he was asked about that email and he refused in that hearing he had. Uh, and, um, and he refused to say anything about it. But then in a closed door session with his um, with his mistress, Paige, she basically spilled the beans. And she, according to sources that interviewed her, basically uh, confirmed that the message, in fact, referred to the quality of the Russia case according to multiple eyewitnesses, basically, who were there, who, who saw her, that she basically said, yeah, because he was trying to say, well, there's no big there, there. What does that mean? I don't know what it means. I can't remember what I meant by that, blah, blah. She said, no, what he meant, it was in response to a question I asked him, that basically said, there's nothing to this Russia collusion business. He said that mm-hmm. in May. This is the guy, this is the, this is the guy who is like, without whom a lot of it wouldn't, wouldn't have much traction, it would be, they'd have to make him up, basically. And he's the he, lead investigator for he, Mueller. Right, he's the lead investigator. And he's the one who said, in reference to the Russia collusion investigation, that there's really not much there. So CNN And yet, here we are. And yet, Doofus McDoofus stands up in front of, uh, a year later, stands up in front of Putin and Trump at, at, uh, at Helsinki and demands to know whether Trump is going to accept the hard, cold fact of Russia collusion and Russian uh, meddling in our elections. And yet the lead investigator said, meh. There is none. So, what? Anybody? Anybody? Why are we doing this? Why is this even happening? Nobody knows. The lie is almost, it's, it's saturating everything, but it's also free floating, you know, there to take with at any time you want and there to articulate. You know but what? it has no roots, it has no real meaning, it has no basis, it has no, it has no factual basis in this world. They've lost their mind. They've lost their marbles. And unfortunately, when people have lost their mind, when have uh, gone technically, kind of officially, or clinically, let's say, insane, but, you know, they still m- are able to maintain normal lives and stuff, but they've actually gone a version of insane, a new variety of insane. Um, there's no way you can reach them, is the problem. Because they're insane, is the point. They're technically insane, and they have bought into a lie so much that their brains have basically just turned to mush. They cannot see reality, at least in this, on this topic, and just do not even try to... No. to, to, to There'll be very few of them any. that can be pulled back from it. It's conversive thinking, and Lobachevsky yeah. wrote about it. He warned that when you get into that state, you'll be lucky if their offspring, the next generation, are not infected to the extent that they won't grow up with it. But that's touch and go as well. It might take generations for this to really flush itself out. Mm. Um, 
What annoys me as well is that even the Republicans and stuff have, there's none of them are willing to go to the uh, to, to state the obvious, which is that all of it is a lie. Uh, most of them are all saying yes, or feel that they have to say yes, Russia meddled in our election, and they'll say things like yes, Russia's Russia's a, a you know a bad actor uh, on the world stage, like, and they'll say things like uh, Putin's responsibility for shoot, the shooting down of MH17. And Putin's responsibility for annexing Crimea and starting and a war in yes, Crimea. Yes, but and didn't Putin's Hillary cra- also take money from Russians for uranium? Yes, but yeah. Okay, the crime is real, but she did it too. Yeah, but the, but that's a lie. Is the thing that's a this lie. Thing, there's, still the, a lie. Republicans are are peddling lies as well, which is that there's no evidence that uh, that Russia meddled, like we said. Uh, there is no evidence. There's no evidence that Russia had anything to do with the shooting down of MH17. And Russia did not annex Crimea. Crimea voted. The Crimean people, ethnic Russians, for the vast majority of them, voted to rejoin the Russian Federation, which is the right of self-determination of all peoples enshrined in the UN uh, Charter. So, um, yeah. A final word on on height. Um, Let's just be a warning about intellectuals especially ones with you know a lot of traction. They may do a lot of good work. They may be able to apply it correctly in some areas, but they too are, of course, completely wide open to the same mind virus that's eating the opponents, say, in the liberal intelligentsia. Um, to, paraphrase, to paraphrase hate himself, ideology binds and blinds. Cuts both ways. He himself is steeped in the same ideology he's claiming to be distancing himself from. It's in a Just weird form where it's postmodernism and it's radical leftism. He can easily see through that, but he is unable to see the ideology that blinds himself. Just it's because you can define it doesn't mean that you're immune to it. it you absolutely. have to take other the, steps. The basic ideological premise at stake here is that the U.S. is exceptional. This is this is a truism for 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 Americans, for most Americans. If the U.S. is exceptional, it's up here, it's elevated, it carries the torch of freedom and civilization, yada yada. Therefore, Russia is down here, evil, if you like. Thus, when Trump is coddling the Russian president in the press conference, Trump is committing treason. That's something. That's the best rationale I can figure out. If you were to logically follow the thought process, if you could magically do a brain scan on on how someone as smart as Height arrives at that conclusion. But that's a guess because it's all taking place subconsciously. Right. And, and they cannot themselves articulate it. I mean, w- what Height did was he referenced an article which was a decent um, breakdown of the Charlottesville issue last mm-hmm. year. And he said that the sacrilege that Trump had committed in that case, which is arguably in the ballpark when he failed to condemn straight off the bat, the KKK, David Duke, yada yada, because in Trump's mind he was probably didn't want to be bashing anyone who was drawn to the basic message of the Unite the Right rally anyway. Mm-hmm. So Haidt said he's committing sacrilege because there's a basic agreement, a shared agreement common to all Americans that that really extremist stuff it, it's not us. It, and, and therefore he had a point. But then he just in his mind, when he is, this, this is an equivalent thing because he, the American president is talking to the Russian one. Mm-hmm. He's committing sacrilege. 
Yeah, against American exceptionalism and uh, the American dream and everything that America stands for. I mean, unfortunately, if you live in America, for the, for the most part, uh, or for the most part of people in America, you're you have been programmed from birth with a really uh, nefarious, I suppose you call it, uh, ideology and, and vision and view of the world and view of yourself, which is. Uh, it's kind of coming home to roost now. It's really been exploited now, and uh, you see that almost nobody is immune to it. You know, uh, Americans are are held; they're kind of trapped. There's been a, a cage made or a prison made for for their minds from from the very beginning, you know, of, mm -hmm. of people's lives, and uh, and it's very difficult. There are very few people who can who can step outside it, and uh, other people in the rest of the world are able to to see that more clearly because they're not in that prison, but. Um, People really need to. You need to first of all recognize if you're in prison. First of all, you have to recognize that you're in prison. That there's a prison for your mind, basically, that has been made to coat the matrix, and, uh, what and, and that's what they're that's what they're suffering from right now. You know, and it's it's pretty horrible to watch. What I really like about the hysterical reaction to the summit is is that has brought by the questions those reporters asked, and then by the reaction afterwards, treason. It has brought the situation to a, a at least a clarifying point. It's it's this is Trump's you're with us or you're against the moment to quote George Bush shortly after 9/11, and the clarification is, it's obviously too simplistic, but he's saying you either believe the Russian president, or you believe our intelligence community patriots, and what I mean is that being a positive thing is that it has brought back to the fore that this was a war of the deep state against Trump, and mm. that now in the national discussion, I suspect they're going to try and recloak it or. They'll keep up the pressure on Trump, but they'll try and get it back away from that. If you remember what happened when Trump was elected, while he was president-elect, there was a clash brewing, and it was in the papers. Trump was refusing or dismissive of going to intelligence briefings as the incoming president, and he said something to the effect of, "What you know, they don't have anything useful to tell me anyway. I just go on Twitter and have a good idea of what's going on. <laughs> like the rest of us, he gets his daily brief just watching the news you yeah. know, and, and working it out himself. And then that provoked this backlash, you know. Um, yeah. And then he, 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 I thought at the time that he switched tack because right from the get-go when he had his first press conference, now as president inaugurated, he had that famous moment where he goes, he wouldn't take a question from Acosta, the CNN guy in the crowd, and he goes, you are fake news. Mm -hmm. And then it became Trump versus fake news. Mm. What we see now is that fake news was a euphemism for that same intelligence community. Right. I mean, it's self-evident yeah. to us. We, well, the we media see the and the intelligence, the too, yeah. But it was taken, sort of, the battle was taken over here a little rather than head-on between the deep staters right. and Trump. And now it's back to a head-on battle. But because of that, it's dangerous. Hello, JFK gets shot in the head. So what happens when Trump, Trump isn't home 12 hours when he backpedals. Yeah. Um, I, I want to want to play that. It's a very, the very brief clip. Trump is back in the. He's back in the White House. No, yeah, he's in the White House. I think he's taking questions, and we have this clip where he he clarifies something that he meant to say in the press conference with Putin, but did he really? Okay, let's have a listen. Uh, once again, the full faith and support for America's intelligence agencies. I have a full faith in our intelligence agencies. Whoops, they just turned off the light. That must be the intelligence agency. <laughs> there 
I have full faith and support. Right. In addition, of course, did we hear that there? I can't remember. He, he as part of that that um, answer, he said that just to be sure everyone understands, I meant to say when I was asked the question that I saw no reason why Russia would not be involved in hacking our democracy when he clearly said in that mm -hmm. because he even put inflection when up when he gave that answer the first time he said i don't see any re reason why russia would be involved in hacking our elections right. so that's an obvious climb down right and now we can look at it like we used to oh god he's sold out of the deep state well that's just it's not just he's sold out of the deep state can you try and put yourself in his shoes the freaking pressure cauldron of going back into the united states with this going on so yeah, he backed down, and you'll notice that he backed down. And there was some weird moment where the power went out. Maybe there was a storm in DC or something, and the lights flickered just as he was about to say this. Just as he was saying, I have, I have complete faith in our intelligence agencies. In the intelligence the agencies. And he's, uh, his arms yeah. are crossed, and he's yeah. looking her down. Oh. It's, um, it's getting spooky, literally. Yeah, but I mean, the interesting thing is that he, he backed down. Uh, but then, I think the next day, he announced that Putin was coming to the White House. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like, so that's, that's, that seems to be what he does. He, he kind of plays, see? he's dancing around and plays, you know, you know, gives a little bit, but then he, he tries to carry on in his, uh, uh, with, with his, with his plan, whatever, whatever it is, you know. Um, and his plan seems to be, at least on the Russia front, international relations is to have better relations with Russia. And that's what he's pushing forward with, obviously, by having Putin come to the White House. Whether or not Putin will come is a different story. But on the media and, the, and, and him, that's an interesting point you mentioned about how the, uh, Trump, when he talks about fake news, he's really also indirectly talking about the intel agencies because he may well be aware that, I mean, he is aware because he's talked about leaks coming from the FBI to the media and stuff. So mm -hmm. the FBI is an intelligence agency and they're obviously complicit in leaking information that's damaging to Trump, etc., leaking bullshit and lies passing out official documents or inside sources tell me this to the media that are damaging to Trump and, and, and push the deep state agenda. But, uh, and that's not a, no surprise and shouldn't be a surprise. I mean, it's been in Western media and uh, in the Western press over, over, over the years. I mean, it's, you're not allowed to say it so much anymore, but back <coughs> 20, 30 years ago, there was lots of articles about in the Western uh, mainstream media about, uh, about how intel agencies in Europe and in the US uh, were very much hand in glove with the with the media you know there's a there's a, a, a an article from the guardian uh from 1981 mm. december 1981 uh the title of it was how the secret service shaped the news and as a journalist uh, richard fletcher at the time said that for over 30 years the british secret intelligence service that's the sis the forerunner of, of mi6 uh ran a worldwide network of news agencies which at their peak had some 250 employees and for 15 years acted as sole agents for reuters in the middle east so reuters news agency was 100 percent completely infiltrated by british intelligence and they were spreading and that's not impartial news that's not objective news that's not that's not free press people have the idea that that, that there's a free press free press you know people Idiots, frankly, keep talking about there being a free press in the Western world. Of course there's not a free press. It's government controlled and it's going to give you a very subjective, very biased view uh, of, of, the, 
of, of what the government wants, of what the government would like you to see, and it's going to have, going to have a vested interest, not free or objective at all. And that's that's in the UK, for example, when it's like uh, the when the Guardian is privately owned, but um, and, and Reuters is supposedly an independent independent news agency, but it's infiltrated by MI5. So it's not even that it's it's not even when it's like the BBC, for example. The BBC is a state-run organisation. You think the BBC would be overrun with uh, British intelligence agencies or agents or, or operatives, but it's not limited to state-run broadcasters. It's, 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 it includes, as this guy says, it includes the Guardian. It includes or it includes Reuters, and but even if it's not, the idea that the press is free in the U.S., where everybody says, "Well, we have a free press because it's all independent." There's basically hardly any state-run, uh, you know, media outlets or news outlets in the U.S. But those, like Jeff Bezos, owns the Washington Washington Post, right? Do you think that Jeff Bezos? When he paid all that money for the Washington Post or anybody else who owns any of these other supposedly indep other independent uh, news outlets, I think the owners who paid all that money for them don't have a vested interest in them making money at the very least. Of course they do. Mm -hmm. So are they not then going to have an influence on what gets published, what angle is taken, if only f in the interest of making the paper more profitable? If they see, they read the newspaper that they've bought. These are big businessmen, and they see something that they think is not a good angle for the paper to take because it doesn't, let's say, just even from a business perspective, doesn't sell enough newspapers. Do you not think they're going to put some influence on the editors to say, listen, we should maybe take a different approach in this because that way it'll make more money? So therefore, the news is automatically slanted, if only from a financial mm -hmm. point of view. Mm -hmm. But obviously, those people have political leanings as well. The idea that it's a free press is complete and utter nonsense, and I'm sick of hearing that idea yeah. that has been around for ages, that well, any of the press, the mainstream media in, in Western countries, is any freer than in any other country, including totalitarian dictatorships in the middle of Africa or anywhere else in the world. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's absolutely ridiculous. Condition. A key premise of it is that those other countries' press media organizations are not free because they are state controlled. That's usually, and that right. if you're going to shorthand it, they just say, to poo poo someone else's view, they just say state controlled outlet, RT, for example, says this, ergo, you should have doubt in your mind because of state control. But these guys have spent at least 70 or 100 years very cleverly having private entities they control from the shadows. Right. So that's worse than the BBC. The BBC right. as state control is answerable to a board of governors. It's answerable to the public. It must be at least somewhat transparent. Right. It, 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 there is public, by being state, it is, has public oversight and therefore can't just do whatever the hell it wants. These other organizations, can do AP, AP, Reuters, basically write the news for the news organizations. They're literally a printing press for fake intel. Fake even, intel to fake news. Yeah. So when Trump's bashing fake news, he's bashing... But it's even, there, there's, even, there's so many problems with it across the board. There's, the other problem is the fact that even if it was an independent uh, media organization, a big media organization, uh, when they're talking about politics and what's going on in the world or geopolitics, you know, um, most of them are entirely dependent on intel agencies for their inside scoop, right? I mean, how many of them report that sources in the CIA said sources in the Pentagon said, sources in the FBI said. That's individuals in those organizations, intel agencies, telling the, these media organizations what's actually happening. And you have to assume that those intel agencies and those 
those, those individuals who are giving them that information are not do not have an agenda, aren't pushing a load of bullshit. You have to assume that that's that's the case for you to believe in a free press, objective news. This is what's really happening. It's just mind-numbingly stupid. It's 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 just uh, I, sorry. I have to I have to I have to move on. Anyway, um, there's one thing I wanted to say about you mentioned Trump, not Trump, Putin. The other Trump, Putin. No, not Trump. Uh, not even him. The worst one, even worse than Putin and Trump. Bush. Uh, George Bush, W, uh, call peace on the carrier. Um, you're either with us or you're against us. That's really interesting because he comes from, that That idea is obviously a fairly it's a pernicious, nefarious kind of attitude to take about anything. You're either with us it's or... It's totalitarian. Right, it yeah. must be totally with us or you're a sub subversive right, dissident. Right. Uh, he made that popular, apparently, because it wasn't that badly received at the time or since. Uh, so apparently that's okay to come up with that uh, strategy or that approach uh, to the world and to America. Uh, you're either with us or you're a damn commie and get the hell out. Um, but it's interesting because he's a Republican president, but that attitude, and this kind of blows away the whole left-right divide and all that kind of stuff, that attitude, I've seen that attitude coming from people on the left today who have hated on George W. Bush, hated on him, for the whole time that he was in office about being a war criminal and all that kind of stuff. And they, those same people today are taking exactly the same approach with their own leftist kind of progressive values. That if, for example, you know, immigrants or uh, you know, gay rights, LGBT, LGBT rights, all that kind of stuff, if you do not automatically agree wholeheartedly with the whole uh, package, the whole package, like it's it's wonderful. Everything LGBT, everything immigrant, everything related to those is is wonderful. You can only be positive, in in ad, you know you can only be a positive advocator for that those those, uh, those causes. If you even question, not that you'd be against it, but if if you even say, well, maybe this isn't the right approach to take. Maybe it's there's a bit of a few questions that need to be looked at or considered here in, in, in relation to those two topics. For example, you're immediately a Nazi. You're immediately a racist. You're immediately a homophobe. Uh, it's absolutely a you're with us or against us. If you do not fully support us from the get-go, automatically and instinctively, then there's something wrong with you and we don't like you. I just wanted to say that. Uh, but the other thing that brings up that crowd as well is the one thing that sticks out that makes Nazis out of lefties. And I don't mean in any kind of deeper analysis or psychological analysis or historical analysis of the origins of, of leftism or, or leftist values or, or Nazism or fascism or anything. I mean that the one holdout for those people, like we mentioned already, that they're all basically now in the camp of the CIA, the FBI, and the, the deep state, which is the thing that they've been reeling against for the whole of all the history of lefty activism. The one holdout is Israel. For those people, mm -hmm. those lefty types are still um, very much anti-Israel, and it's kind of weird because they're in the same camp as a guy you mentioned earlier on, David Duke, mm -hmm. the former KKK member, right? Because he is anti-Israel; he hates the Jews. Maybe these lefties don't hate the Jews, but they certainly don't 
like Israel at all in any way. And, and there are a lot of Israelis that don't distinguish what they're saying. They're saying also you hate Jews. Right. That's all they hear. So you hate us. So it's, it's, it's kind of interesting that, that that's the one kind of uh, domino that hasn't fallen for those people yet, you know, where they've basically swung to basically being part of the right, what, what, what was traditionally the right, at least from the left-right divide that historically in the, pa in mod you know, in the modern era, and let's say uh, since the 60s or 70s, um, the kind of right-wing fascists, evil government types were in bed with or were part of the CIA intelligence agents were part of that big government and all that kind of stuff. And those people um, have now kind of like, are s you know, slowly it hasn't happened maybe all at once, but certainly they're slowly moving because of Trump. They're slowly moving to be in the same camp as the people like that intelligence agency that they previously mm -hmm. protest against, but um, but not not the Israelis. You know, they're still they're also still anti-war. Yes, but well, they're not keeping up with the changing nature of the warfare. So, for example, uh, they'll equally protest U.S. forces bombing Raqqa and Russian forces far more carefully bombing Aleppo mm. to free it mm. from ISIS. War is bad. It's bad under all circumstances, and they're totally missing the actual picture of what's going on there. Mm. They'll also bash Trump because simply because he's the president of the United States, and because there are all these conflicts that are still ongoing: troops in Afghanistan, special forces in Yemen, etc. Well, he's the president, so Do you know how you look at all these people he's killed. Well, now hold on. How many has he initiated any wars yet? No, he hasn't. So far, he's an anti-war president, yeah. at least well, by the incredibly low standards created by his predecessors. Yeah, well, he's, the, he's the least militaristic uh, president since Jimmy Carter, by the by the numbers, like uh, by far, in the last forty years. Yeah, Obama blows him out of and the water. Obama blows him out of the water. Blows Trump out of the water as far as mil military either. intervention and killing brown people, killing immigrants, killing potential immigrants. Obama blew the crap out of hundreds of thousands of them. Um, it's ridiculous. Uh, no, but it's really it's the whole thing's bizarre because, like on that Israel thing, like I said, those the left, particularly in Europe, um, yeah, I'm here I'm talking about Europe. The left in Europe are very much anti-Israel and pro-Palestinian, like vocally, still and have been. That's a long tradition. Um, but that puts them if you cross the water, that puts them in the same camp as um, never Trumpers. No, as right as right wingers who are anti Israel because there's anti Semitism and oh, uh, right. right. So mm -hmm. KK like the, the right wing the right nationalists in the right wing nationalists in the US are anti Jews and therefore anti Israel. But at the same time, they're also kinda pro Israel because Israel is against the Muslims. They're not too sure about that. You know, because there's a historical anti-Semitism of of the right. You know, who doesn't that don't don't like the Jews. Certain sections of them don't like the Jews, right? But they also don't like Muslims. So which they're going to pick? But then you go back over to England, and you have the right right-wing nationalists in England are very much seem to be more pro-Israel. Israel, because they're anti-Muslim, and Israel is only democracy in the Middle East, protecting us from the Muslim hordes. Blah 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 blah. So at least in Europe. Or at least uh, across the water, it kind of puts the left in the same camp as a certain section of the right, you know, on that topic. So you'd have to go. So you have to say to a lefty, like, do you realize that you'd have to admit that the right-wing nationalists in the U.S. some of them actually have some views that that you would have to agree with, and then the screaming would start, and 
brains would melt and uh, that kind of thing. Smoke would come out of their ears. It's the whole. It's just. I'm just giving that, putting that out there as an example of how, how feckless the whole thing is, how confused, and how people really don't know what they're talking about most of the time. Or they what, they what, like what exactly they're protesting. Th yeah, they, they don't even think about it. They're, they're not able, apparently, to think about it for the most part, you know, yeah. most of them. So, um, yeah. I had an, another question that was kind of answered by Trump this week. It was a question for me, at least. Um, I think it was pretty clear in your mind, Joe. And that was the issue of NATO. Kind of, what what's Trump up to there? I mean, we know he went to Brussels and he's proud that he's gotten all the other member states to bump up their contributions. But the seed of doubt, which has been there since um, since he was campaigning, really, when he basically questioned what's the point of having NATO at all, came back up again. When the two presidents left last week, left their meetings, they both gave interviews to Fox News. Chris Wallace thought he was doing the proper journalistic thing by being extremely rude to President Putin. That's an okay interview, but Tucker Carlson interviewed President Trump. Um, we have a clip I want to play. It's um, Carlson's asking him about NATO. I would just proceed it by saying that he, was, he, he asked him a question before about NATO, and Trump went off into this usual answer about how, oh yeah, NATO, um, I did good in Brussels, you know, I got all the members to up their contributions, they'll be sending billions more. Because, you know, they got to pay, they got to pay. <laughs> um, but Carlson wasn't satisfied with it, so he asked him the same question basically again. Um, let's have a listen to what he said. Membership in NATO obligates the members to defend any other member that's attacked. That's so right. let's say Montenegro, which joined last year, is attacked. Right. Why should my son go to Montenegro to defend it from attack? I Why is that? I understand what you're saying. I've asked the same question. You know, uh, Montenegro is a tiny country with very strong people. Yeah, I'm not against Montenegro uh, right. or Albania. No, by the way, they're very strong people. They're very aggressive people. They may get aggressive. And congratulations, you're in World War III. Now, uh, I understand that, the, but that's the way it was set up. Don't forget, I just got here a little more than a year and a half ago. Right. But I took over uh, the conversation three or four days ago, and I said, you have to pay. You have to pay. And there he goes again. Back to the key point, you have Show to pay. It's about the money, the trade, and China, um, and the EU is killing us. But between the lines of what he's saying, it's pretty, pretty obvious. He's like, NATO's obsolete. What's the freaking point? It's dangerous. We're going to trigger World War Three here, and that I, I I haven't seen the reaction to that, but I imagine CNN's going, "Oh my God, the president's crazy. What's he saying about Montenegro being strong?" And all that? he's referring there, but he didn't bloody enunciate it properly. But anyway, what he's obviously saying there is, the Balkans twice, for God's sake, were the the key arena that caused two world wars. Certainly the First World War, there were two Balkan wars that led up to it. The assassination of um, Franz Duke, Franz Duke Ferdinand. Uh, Archduke uh, Ferdinand. Yes. And then, boom, it was World War I. That's obviously what we're referring to. It's a bloody hotspot. What are we doing breaking it up and bringing them into NATO? And his, his point being, you know... NATO is a Cold War he's, artifact. It's a Cold War... It sound like a peacenik. It's a Cold... Well, he does, but it's a Cold War throwback, obviously, NATO. I mean, it doesn't apply anymore, and he's absolutely right that it doesn't apply anymore. NATO was set lefties, up in the context Trump of... doesn't want NATO. Lefties, hello, this is your freaking godsend I know. after all these decades. Right. And you're... No, because he's got an orange face. Neil, he's got an orange face. All right, I'm sorry. 
forget about World War Three and you know the destruction of the planet and the destruction of me and my children and everything I hold dear. That's not really relevant or important in the face of his face, right? I mean, he's got a big orange face. They need to be fish slapped, all of them. He's got a big orange face. He's unpresidential. He doesn't dance well like Obama. He says stupid things. He said a sexist thing or two. He has this thing about immigrants where he won't, won't just open all the borders and let them all in. Pretty much the same as Obama, but whatever. He's got an orange face, like I said. Did, did you look at him? Maybe your problem, Neil, is that you haven't been looking enough at Trump. If you would look at him enough, right, just stare at him and get like a close-up picture as much as possible so you see all the like, all the like uh, imperfections in his face and stuff. And you'll just... You'll have a visceral, Meditate on it. Well, you'll just have a visceral... Eventually, if you stir long enough, you'll vomit. Right? You'll just throw up and you'll go, oh, God, I hate that guy. I have to do something to stop him. And, and that'll be it. And then everything that he wants, you will hate, regardless of what it is. Even if the things that he wants are actually uh, in line with your personal ideology, for example, of anti-war. It doesn't matter. It's the fact that he's Trump and you hate him and that's all there is to it. Right? Just, you know, you only need, how many brain cells have you got? Probably what? What is it like? Six 10, or seven, I think. No, ten billion. Yeah. Well, there's quite a few billion brain cells. I'm a billionaire then. But you get rid of most of them. You need two. You know, two of them just and the, the, the two, two of them would actually, if you look at them under a microscope, they'd probably be like, you know, they'd look like the shape of Trump's face, basically. You know, just keep those two and have them just connect with each other all the time. Trump's face, Trump's face, Trump's face. He's orange. He's ugly. You know, he's unpresidential, and that's just that's a horrible. That's that's the treason. Trump's face. Right. Betrayed. The fact that he is a president. The president is meant to be cool, suave, sophisticated, better than me, morally and every other way, intellectually better than me. The fact that he's not is treason. It's personal treason. But George I feel betrayed. Was a that was hard enough, but idiot. Trump is even worse. You know, at least George W. Bush had a father, had the background, grew up in Kennebunkport, you know, had the uh, silver spoon that was backside growing up, all that, or wherever they put the silver spoons. At least he had that, had that pedigree. Who is Trump? You know? And anyway, apart from that, the media hates him as well. And the media, it's a free press, like we were saying earlier on. The media is totally objective, and we should believe what the media says. And, and just, you know, just keep watching all the stuff about that says Trump's evil. And then you'll believe, basically, and you won't give a shit about anything other than the fact that you hate Trump, regardless of what he does. So that's just my advice to you. You'll sleep better at night. You know what Especially they're doing? They're, they're, they're making me like Trump more and more. I don't go that route. And that's getting scary. That's what yeah. you're doing. That's the effect you're having. And there's, I there's another, <laughs> hang on. There's another video here that I want to play. It's, it's his predecessor, the suave, smooth, nice-talking, humanitarian-type uh, president called Obama. Uh, and it, I think just, it's just a short video. Who? Oh, oh, oh um, Barack Hussein. Never heard Mujahideen of Muhammad Obama from Kenya. Anyway, I don't know where he's from. Uh, he's the president, and it's a, video, a short speech he just gave recently. I think he's in South Africa. Trying to make peace in South Africa. Um, and getting millions to say what right. he has to say. Uh, and he, um, it's just what he says for me kind of summed up in, uh, very briefly the kind of difference in worldview or ideology between the people who harken back to Obama and wish that Hillary was president and, uh, and hate the fact that Trump is president and they think they hate everything he stands for. And this is what Obama stands for. Just play the video there and we'll have a listen. But democracy demands 
that we're able also to get inside the reality of people who are different than us, so we can understand their point of view. Maybe we can change their minds, but maybe they'll change ours. And you can't do this if you just out of hand disregard what your opponents have to say from the start. And you can't do it if you insist that those who aren't like you, because they're white or because they're male, that somehow there's no way they can understand what I'm feeling. That somehow they lack standing to speak on certain matters. Madiba, he lived this complexity. In prison, he studied Afrikaans so that he could better understand the people who were jailing him. And when he got out of prison, he extended a hand to those who had jailed him because he knew that they had to be a part of the democratic South Africa that he wanted to build. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, He's referring there to Nelson Mandela. Uh, some other guy who was also in prison, I think. It's at some... You know, there's stuff going on in South Africa. We, I don't know. We, I don't think we'll talk about it this week. But a lot, of, a lot of South African farmers are going to Russia. You know that they're fleeing South Africa. Uh, white mm. Afrikaners, uh, Dutchies, effectively, they are going to Russia, and Russia's taking them in, basically. Um, but I mean, that's a different situation. Uh, but just on Obama, there he kind of summed up in a few short words, really, just the kind of mindset that seems to be one half of this polemic going on uh, and it's where he said that you have to get inside the reality or the mind or whatever of of people that you disagree with you know you have to you know it's this melting pot it's this missing mixing mixing uh, well, maybe not a dilution but definitely a mixing of basically anybody who you disagree with, no matter who they are, anybody who's different, anybody, uh, you know, obviously he's talking there about kind of different uh, cultures, different races, that kind of thing. You got to get inside. Everybody has to be open, like open borders, and let it all in, and create something new. Obviously, by definition, you would create something new. You would, you wouldn't be the same. You got to change your perspective. You got to, uh, you got to be inclusive, basically, and and accepting of diversity and. You know, and this is a problem that's obviously going on with the whole immigration issue and why there's a pushback against immigration in, in Europe and to a lesser extent uh, in the U.S. Um, but it's it's that ideology, it's that belief that uh, you should fully adopt the views and perspectives, traditions, cultures, ex- everything really of other people, of the other uh, in order to create peace on earth or to have a wonderful uh, utopian kind of society, you know. Um, and that's what his sentiments are, as he expressed them, are really the sentiments of a lot of people that I know, a lot of my peers and stuff, who have the same approach, you know. And the thing is, it gains a lot of traction. There's a lot of, it attracts a lot of people because it's a positive message, right? Mm-hmm. It's basically anti-conflict, anti-war, anti anti-social division, it's it's all the good stuff, you know. But, um, and I suppose I'm just asking, here's a question for you, you know, what's the problem with that? Is there a problem with that? The only thing that man has in common with Nelson Mandela is that he's black. Right. The similarity ends there. Mm. 
And right. he is using that superficial connection to us to get in the mind of Nelson Mandela to channel him. I'm reading a headline here: Obama does Nelson Mandela's Madiba dance in South Africa. So he did some more dancing. You see, I'm in tune oh, with you. I'm Madiba, part of that's you. what he mentioned. Madiba. I think Madiba he was talking about Mandela. Yeah, or, uh, right. He was talking about Mandela. Yeah. Look, I'm I'm I've got into the minds of how you think. I'm inside your mind now. We're all one. That's like that's a psychopath trying to get inside the mind of a normal person. Right. That's exactly. why that's why they're ferociously trying to figure out what did Trump and Putin say in private? We need right. to get inside their head. What did you say? Well, Tell us. But even at the, at the level of the ordinary person, is it appropriate for someone to, to in that way, fully embrace someone else's difference or diversity? Well, normal it? people don't want to. Right. They want to keep 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 their own. They're interested. Stuff. Oh, you're from where? You know. Right. Okay, but then the interest ends there. I'm not gonna like marry you. Right, I'm not, yeah, I'm not gonna. We're not gonna have a mind <coughs> meld right, where but, we become one. Right, but that's what they want. That's, that's just what the he's saying. Psychopathic thing going on here. Right. He's he. That's that's the fundamental difference between him and someone like Mandela. But that's also the fundamental. The character, the that, internal. But that's also a fundamental difference between the left and the right today. If you today, wanted to sum it today. up in general, in broad strokes, that's that's the attitude. It's like people are being, and, and there's there's that push to to get people to incorporate. Or assimilate and absorb mm -hmm. uh, things that you know on the face of it maybe not such a bad idea. You know it's okay to adopt new ideas from other cultures as happened throughout history, but then there's certain other areas of new kind of uh, let's say new perspectives, new sexual identities, and even new cultural identities. Let's say you could even extend it to Islam, to radical Islam and stuff. Should we adopt? You know the kind of restrictive, repressive uh, uh, practices of Islam in the name of diversity and acceptance and inclusivity, and should we accept uh, some of the more, let's say, unorthodox uh, sexual uh, expressions or identities? Should everybody accept those? You know, should I encourage my children to be accepting and to kind of like get inside the mind of 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 uh of of someone who's transgendered or you know what I mean? I mean, not there's no there's no prejudice there against those individuals, but it's just about keeping a healthy kind of different a distance between people, uh, and not jump in, and not uh, into into accepting them wholeheartedly on on a humanitarian basis when human nature is much more complex than that, and people uh, yeah. people th there are clear differences between people and between cultures, and there's nothing wrong with someone respectfully maintaining their own cultural identity while allowing for the existence of someone else's, you know, even in the same country or whatever. But, you know, something, my point is, there's something to be carefully thought about rather than wholeheartedly and automatically and immediately accepted as many people on the left try to force people to do on pain of being accused of being a racist or a, a sexist or homophobe or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. That's another major blind spot of the left. How in God's name did you go from being generally distrustful of the elites? I mean, after all, you wanted a revolution to overthrow, you know. Anyway, to being generally distrustful of the elites, to parroting everything they say. Do you not see that Diversity, inclusivity, all, all this is coming from people, the top down. But people aren't 
generally speaking, people aren't distrustful of the elites. People, most people are only <coughs> distrustful of a elite, one side of the elite mm -hmm. in this paradigm of you know left, right, whatever you know. And, and uh, they they they're not going to stand on their own and combat you know be sovereign in a certain sense or be their own person and and uh, and take a stance against a whole corrupt hierarchy and call them all 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 the political class evil basically because they're kind of they'll be left without any leadership in that sense you know so you know, find people who have reeled against certain elites and stuff like people reeled against against Bush during the Bush years but that's because they were Democrats let's say and they were they had uh, Hillary in the wings or whoever uh, at the time. You know, I don't know, Al Gore, whoever was John Kerry, whoever they had the opposite side. Basically, that was their elite. They still wanted an elite. They just had identified one aspect of the elite, one side of it, as the evil one, like not my team. Uh, they still need someone to represent them. You know. <coughs> All right. So um, that's why most people you won't find. You, that's why they won't be able to articulate it. They won't know why they don't like what you're saying. But underneath it, it's what the kind of stuff that we would say. Uh, it's something. That, it's a place where people can't go. Most people can't go because you're basically leaving them, kind of. They're, they're cast adrift. They're 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 baseless in a certain sense of uh, they have not no no ground to stand on because people's uh, position and view of themselves in life, from a psychological perspective in the world, is 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 predicated on on a hierarchy and they're being leaders and they're being someone to look to, someone who's responsible for them basically. Uh, People just don't want to be responsible for themselves in the big bad world, you know, in an infinite universe. They don't want to stand. Uh, they can't uh, think ultimately just me, me against the world type thing. And that's why someone like Peterson actually is very popular among some people because that's one of the one thing he actually advocates is people to learn to take responsibility, to strengthen themselves so that they can become individuals who can stand and face, if necessary, the entire world, the entire universe alone if they build enough personal strength and will and and the way you do that is by taking on responsibility for things you shoulder things that actually builds your quote-unquote muscle let's say or your psychological spiritual whatever muscle to the point where you can stand on your own two feet I, like i said against uh, or in the face of everything if necessary i mean it's usually not necessary that one person has to stand on their own but uh, if you recognize that this the the system the 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 elite if you want to call it or the uh, the ruling class in this world are fundamentally corrupt then there's no other option but to basically take that position of none of them represent me really uh, and they're all going down a path uh, that's probably not good for anybody so at the very least I'm not going to hitch my horse uh, to their wagon basically you know because um, I, I don't want to. Go off the cliff with them, you know. Right. Um, and from their perspective, they see it the other way. They right. Trump's leading everyone else off the cliff. Right. Trump slash Putin slash insert populist nationalist dictator. It's yeah. uh, it's pretty polemic. I mean, Obama can still muster millions of tweets. Bloody hell. John Brennan and James Comey last week still got instantly. Maybe they're rigged or something or bots, but they still attract a lot of. They have a lot of traction. You know? Yeah. There's a lot of people out there. I don't think it's a small number of people. Despite what we might like to believe, that they're just a vocal minority, I think there's a lot of people out there who are. Do you think it splits yeah. roughly half and half? I don't know. Maybe, ultimately, if it comes down to it, maybe ultimately, if you did all the, all the all the numbers, you know, uh, in, a a in a general sense, you could maybe split them. But then there's a spectrum, you know, ones near the end, ones further back, and that kind of stuff, more extreme, 
you know, but generally maybe you could call it 50-50. Um, that's a lot of people, yeah. And it's, you know, so it's set up to be a clash of, not a clash of civilizations, really. Clash set of species? Clash of, well, interspecies clash, or uh, not interspecies, but a clash of ideologies. Yeah. Um, and we'll have to wait and see where it goes. But I think we'll call it, call it a day there uh, on this one. I think we've covered those topics pretty well. Um, if there's anything uh, else you think we missed, you can leave a leave a comment on the on the show that'll be up on talk.net um, sometime later today, probably, or maybe early tomorrow. Um, Anyway, so thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we hope you have a good evening wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Till then, see ya. See you next week or sooner. Bye, everyone.